Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Glad Tidings this morning. If you're watching online, welcome. It's nice to have you with us. My name is Scott. I'm one of the staff here. And so I'm going to invite you to stand with us. We're going to sing a few songs this morning before Pastor Todd comes to share the message.
You may be seated and happy, I guess, Good Friday. I often say on Good Friday, I never know if I should be happy or should be sad or live in the tension of that. Somebody asked me this week, actually, um, why do we call it Good Friday when the most brutal thing that has ever happened in the history of the universe took place on that day? Well, there's a number of reasons, actually, or a number of um, suggestions that are given. The first one is that actually it's a, an obstruction of what was originally called God Friday. I don't think that's actual, but that is one of the things. The other thing is that um, Good Friday is, uh, comes from an archaic, an archaic word. Um, for example, at Christmas time, way back centuries and centuries ago, they called Christmas Christmas tide, and they would say Good Tide, which meant holy. And uh, that's where we get the word Good Friday, which probably is the case. And then somebody also mentioned that Good Friday um, is uh, what happened on Good Friday is the anticipation of what's coming on Easter Sunday morning. And I think if you've ever listened to Tony Campolo a few years ago, a number of years ago actually, it's Friday, but Sunday's a coming. And that's the idea. But that's kind of where uh, the middle one actually, the second one is actually where Good Friday comes from. And so today, uh, what we're going to do is I'm going to just share with you from Matthew's Gospel, and uh, beginning at uh, verse 36 of chapter 26. We're going to read that together in just a moment. Uh, But I just want to tell you uh, that if you have kids that are under six, they're welcome to stay here. We're a family church, and it's not a big deal. But if it becomes a bit of a disturbance, what we'd like you to do is uh, you can bring your children out. If they're under six, we do have programs for them. Um, But we're going to share a message together. Then we're going to read the text, the biblical text together of the crucifixion story. And then we're going to share communion. So I want you to stand with me, if you will. And uh, we're reading this text out of... uh, Uh, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 26, and uh, I'm reading the yellow, and you're going to read the, um, you're going to read the white, and um, in a minute, and this is what it says. And then Jesus went up with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray, and taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again for the second time he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, you will be your will be done. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for a third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. 
Well done. Let's pray together. Father, we give you thanks and praise today. Matter of fact, Lord, the truth is on Good Friday, on this week, we find it hard to express as your followers the gratitude and the depth of appreciation that we have for your generous and extravagant gift and the exhibition of your love in, through, and as Jesus Christ. And so we ask today, Lord, that the same Spirit, the Holy Spirit, who makes possible and applicable and available in our lives all that you've accomplished in Christ, we ask today that you would give us a voice to speak, ears to hear, minds to understand, hearts to comprehend, and particularly when we leave this place, this building, this property, that we will go out and live in our relationships, our marriages, and our families, and our places of work, and schooling, and where we buy and get our services, and wherever it is that we are the hub of relationships, that we would live out our faith in meaningful, practical, tangible ways, we pray that Christ may be exalted, that, Father, that your will will be accomplished, and the Holy Spirit would be free to work and move as he desires. And we ask all of this in Christ's name. Amen. Why don't you be seated? Now, what the text that we just read is took place in the early hours of this morning, early Friday morning, that Jesus goes uh, with his disciples around midnight and through the wee hours of the morning on Friday morning, they are at the Garden of Gethsemane. And our text tells us exactly that, that Jesus went with them, the disciples, to a place called Gethsemane. And it was an appropriate place. Appropriate because it was a garden. And uh, why a garden? Because, well, human history began in a garden, as did human sin. And the Bible tells us in the book of Revelation that human life, and as we understand it, will also end in the garden city of the New Jerusalem. But in between the Garden of Eden and the Garden of Jerusalem, there is this Garden of Gethsemane, the garden between where human beings failed and where God reigns is the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus accepts the cup from his Father, from our Father. It is appropriate in location because it is located at the bottom of the Mount of Olives. It is easily accessible. It is also appropriate because it is well known to the disciples. Matter of fact, John tells us that Judas, who betrayed Jesus, knew the place because Jesus had often gone there with the disciples over his ministry time. But there's also this. It's an, it's. The Garden of Gethsemane is appropriate because of its function. It is a place of pressing. Gethsemane means oil press. It is a place of pressing. It is a place where the olives are crushed, and it is the only way to get the oil out of the olives is to crush them. It is a place of squeezing, a place of pressing. And what a picture, that Jesus would agonize in prayer to his Father, to our Father, being crushed, pressed, 
squeezed by the weight that was upon him. Gethsemane is an impossible mystery for us to really understand. Too much for our finite minds to really appreciate. Now, the text that we just read is a text that's often overlooked at Easter. We have a tendency to focus on the suffering of Jesus on the cross. But this morning, I do not want us to miss the agony in the Garden of Gethsemane. Some have suggested that this is the place where Jesus' true test took place. That this is where the battle really was won. This is where the war was won or lost. The rest, the mocking, the face slapping, the spitting, the beating, the 39 lashes, the crown of thorns, the humiliation, the crucifixion, as intense and as agonizing as they were, would be the result of the brutal violence of humanity. Wendell Berry said, categorical hatred is the hatred of the mob, which makes cowards brave. And there is nothing more fearful than a religious mob overflowing with righteousness, or we might say self-righteousness, as at the crucifixion and before and since. Jesus knows that what is ahead will be the result of human beings. Of what we can do when we are motivated by politics like Pilate. Or when we are motivated by power like the religious leaders or a paycheck by the Roman soldiers or the prejudice of the crowd or even by hell itself. Jesus knows the truth of Psalm 56:11 in God I trust I shall not be afraid what can man do to me for Jesus it's not what human beings can do when we are motivated by hell itself that is his greatest concern it is what hell itself can do in this moment. And this is what is happening here at Gethsemane. It is a place of satanic attack. Now, if we know anything about the Bible, we know that throughout his life and his ministry, Jesus often experienced the abuse of Satan in one form or another. And it is here in Gethsemane that Jesus is experiencing again another satanic attack. In other words, Jesus' ministry began and it ends with satanic attacks, with severe temptation. Luke 4. At the beginning of Jesus' ministry, the Bible says that Jesus is driven by the Spirit into the desert, and there, after he is there for 40 days, that the devil comes to him, Satan comes to him, and tempts him three times. 
if you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. If you are the Son of God, then worship me and all of this will be yours. If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written that he will command his angels to guard you. And Satan tempted Jesus at the very beginning, and he would not succeed in causing Jesus to sin. And Luke 4.13 tells us this, And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. And here in the Garden of Gethsemane is that opportune time that Luke is talking about. But there's also this. In the biblical record, in the Gospels, that tell us about the suffering, the passion, the crucifixion, the burial of Jesus Christ. The record does not dignify Satan by mentioning him directly, only indirectly. For example, in John 13, 27, we read these words, Jesus is speaking and he says, sorry, Jesus is talking to Judas, And he said, after he had taken the morsel, Judas, that is, Satan entered into him. And Jesus said to him, what you are going to do, do quickly. And then in John chapter 14, verse 30, we read these words where Jesus says, I will no longer talk much with you for the ruler of this world is coming, but he has no hold on me. And then finally, we come to these chilling words in Luke twenty-two fifty-three, 53, when they had come to arrest him, he said this. He said, every day I was with you in the temple courts, and you did not lay a hand on me, but this is your hour when darkness reigns. Isn't that chilling? When darkness reigns. And there's this. Although Satan is mentioned indirectly, his presence hangs over our text like the pitch darkness of night. His fingerprints are everywhere. And Jesus anticipated this conflict with Satan as he entered into Gethsemane. He began to feel the weight of what was probably the most intense struggle of his life, probably more than the struggle when he was in the desert, if that is possible. But this is the hour when darkness reigns. And this is Satan's opportune time. And Satan brings three more waves of temptation over Jesus in his attempt to stop Jesus from following God's plan, trying him to get 
to seize the kingdom by bypassing the cross. And here in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus faces three more waves of temptation. My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. My Father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And Luke says that he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words. But there's also this. Our text tells us, and taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, which is James and John, that Jesus began to be sorrowful and troubled, and then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. And Gethsemane becomes a place of sorrow. You see, the cross is not the only anguish that brought sorrow to Jesus. I mean, do we not think that Jesus felt sorrow and grief and pain over Judas's betrayal and then his subsequent suicide? I mean, do we not think that Jesus felt sorrow over Peter's denial and then, of course, his abandoning Jesus? Or do we not think that Jesus felt the sorrow of his disciples just leaving him? Or the fact that his own people, Israel, rejected him? Or that religious people who are more concerned with their religious rituals than they are with the things of God, of the God that they say that they serve. Or the sorrow of the injustices and the cursing and the mocking. And all of these and more cause Jesus sorrow. The Messianic Psalm of Psalm 42, 7 says, Deep calls to deep. At the roar of your waterfalls, all your breakers and your waves have gone over me. In other words, Jesus is surrounded by sorrow. Jesus, in the Garden of Gethsemane, is engulfed in sorrow, and wave after wave is washing over him, even to death. And then we come to this. For Jesus, it is not what human, do, human beings can do who are inhumane and violent and brutal that is the greater issue. It is not even the temptations from Satan that is the greater issue, although they are serious and they are severe. The one issue that is greater than all the others the one issue that is the greatest above all the rest is submission to the will of the Father. And that brings us to this. 
a prayer that is not answered. My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but as you will. We, you and I, we, we cannot comprehend at this juncture what's going on between the Father and the Son. The relationship between the Father and the Son is something that is too much of a mystery. It's too complex for us to grasp. And this is very sorrowful. It's troublesome for Jesus and too deep for us to understand. David Garland said it best when he wrote in Gethsemane, Jesus meets the dreadful silence of heaven. There is no reassuring voice from heaven. No doves descend. God has already spoken and his son must obey. Then Luke adds this. He tells us that after Jesus' prayer is not answered, There appeared to him an angel from heaven strengthening him. But the angel still did not answer the prayer. And God will strengthen us. God will strengthen you and he will strengthen me, but he may not answer our prayer. Our greater issue may be like Jesus' greater issue, submission to the Father's will. Obedience to God's will. I mean, is not this an issue for us? So much so that many of us, most of us, In this room and those watching online, we too have our Gethsemane prayers, not at the same level, mind you, as Jesus, but just as personal and just as intense for us in our situation. Is not this what is meant by the statement, thy will be done in the Lord's prayer? And if you are anything like I am, then I have recited it and I have prayed it without actually thinking about it. You know what it means? You know what Jesus' Gethsemane and our Gethsemane prayers means? It means this, that our will and God's will may not be the same. It means that there is a possibility that you and I will not get what we pray for. It means that in spite of our prayers, we may suffer. And if this is the case, if this is the case, are we willing to say with Jesus, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will.
Not my will, but thine be done. And in the early hours of Friday morning, Gethsemane becomes a place of acceptance. And Jesus accepts the cup. He accepts the cup that he must drink. The cup of submission to his Father's and our Father's will. I want us to just pause right there for a moment. And I want us to pray together. Just long enough to let those words sink in. That we too have our Gethsemane prayers. And it means that sometimes our prayers will not be answered. And in those moments, and in those times, those situations and circumstances, are we willing to be like Jesus, say, Father, not my will, but yours be done. Pray with me. Father, again, we are just overwhelmed at this time of year because we reflect, we remember the Passion, Holy Week, the cross, the brutality, the violence. And we recognize and remember that it's all for us. And it's hard, Lord, for us to even get our hearts around it, much less our heads. But Father, in this room, watching online, all of us, If we haven't already, we may be in the midst of it, and if not, haven't experienced it yet, and are not in it yet, maybe down the road in the future, we will have our Gethsemane prayer. And it will not be answered. And in that moment, I pray that you will help us, and you will strengthen us to be able to say, with our Savior. Father, if it's not possible for this cup, this situation, this circumstance to change, if it's not possible for it to pass, then not my will, but your will be done. Father, I pray that you would give us the grace that you gave Jesus Christ by the work and the power of the Holy Spirit that quickens us and enables us. And this we pray in Christ's name. Amen. I thought it may be a, a great way to come to communion this morning would be for us to read the crucifixion story together. We're going to do that in a couple of moments. <clears throat> And uh, then we're going to share communion, and um, I'll explain communion to you in just a few moments. I'm going to invite the musicians to come, and I'm going to invite you to stand with me. And uh, we're going to read the story as it picks up from where we left off in the Garden of Gethsemane. I'm going to read yellow, and you're going to read white. 
And this is Matthew chapter 26, verse 47, all the way to Matthew 27, verse 50. Obviously, we're not going to read all of those verses, but this is what it says. And while they were still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a great crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, the one I will kiss is the man, seize him. Jesus said to him, Friend, do what you came to do. Then they came up and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. And then those who had seized Jesus led him to Caiaphas, Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders had gathered. And then they spit in his face and they struck him. And some slapped him, saying, Prophesy to us, you Christ. Who is it that struck you? When morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And they bound him and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate, the governor. Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus says, You've said so. But when he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. And then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he gave him no answer, not even a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? They all said, Let him be crucified. And he said, And so Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, and he took water and he washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And they all answered, His blood be on us and on our children. Then he released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. They spit on him, and he took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put his own clothes on him and led him away to crucify him. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour Jesus cried out in a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama shabachthani, 
That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This man is calling Elijah, and one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, put it on a reed, and gave it to him to drink. But the others said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth shook, and the rocks were split. And the tombs also were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, <clears throat> they went into the holy city and appeared to many. And when it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who was also was a disciple of Jesus, and he went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him. going to share communion together I'm going to invite some of our board and our people to come and help me you may be seated for a moment for those of you that are visiting with us today we are delighted that you are here and going to join us for communion and um, communion for us is a very sacred special time every time we celebrate it and today, what we're going to do is, uh, we want you to know, first of all, is that uh, on this table is gluten-free, so if you have gluten issues, then feel free to um, come here at the center table. All the rest are regular bread. And uh, the other thing is that if you have mobility issues and you can't walk to the front, that's okay because we have a tray prepared and uh, Mike is back there, and all you gotta do is raise your hand and he will bring it right to your seat. But for the rest of us, in a couple of moments, we are going to share communion together. We have chosen today to take whole loaves, and there's a reason for that. The whole loaf actually represents the whole physical body of Jesus Christ intact. And we know, of course, that on the cross, that his body was broken, that it was torn. Torn apart, broken. And the reason why his body was broken and torn apart was so that this body, we, the body of Christ, his church, we could be whole. Matter of fact, somebody said that, in a sense, <clears throat> Jesus' body was dismembered so that his body, the church, us, we could be remembered, brought together. <clears throat> but further, we also know that Jesus' body was broken 
so that our bodies, our physical bodies, could be made whole. Matter of fact, Isaiah said, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we have seen him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And by his wounds, by his brokenness, we are healed physically, spiritually, emotionally, relationally, and mentally. And Peter picks it up. Peter says, talking about Jesus, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. That we might die to sin and live to righteousness, that by his wounds we are healed. Here's what I know. When we celebrate the death, the suffering, crucifixion of Jesus. And when we do that by participating in communion, anything is possible. Because Jesus is here. And so today, you may be in relational trouble, you may be in health trouble, you may be in, you may struggle with mental health trouble, you may struggle spiritually. We just never know what can happen when we celebrate and participate together in communion. So when you come this morning, there are some hygiene issues, obviously. We have napkins at each table, and so we ask you to make sure that you take the bread and the napkin and tear a piece off. And there are bowls here with juice to represent the body of the Lord. And you can do a couple of things. You can tear off a piece, and we don't care how big the piece is. There's lots of bread. And you can dip it in the juice, and you can receive it here, or you can take it back to your seat. The musicians are going to play, and I'm going to let you remain seated. But the point this morning is not to rush. We're not in a hurry. If somebody is in front of you and they're taking your time, just be patient. And just allow the presence of God to fill this room and fill our lives. Pray with me, Father, again, in the glorious name, in the beautiful name, the name of Jesus. And through the power and the enabling of the Spirit, as we get out of our seats today and go through this act of remembrance. And we walk down here and we take a piece of bread and we dip it in the juice. Lord, first of all, we thank you for your broken body and all that is involved on this weekend that is so, Lord, it's like drinking from a fire hose. It's impossible to take in. And we thank you for your shed blood that, as we sang earlier, nothing but the blood of Jesus can wash away my sins. And I'm so thankful that you did. And I have felt the 
cleansing blood of Jesus, I have felt like I have had a bath. I have felt the weight of guilt lift off me and peace be replaced. Lord, I pray today for anybody that's in this room, those watching online, that this can be a moment when they can say yes to your offer of love and forgiveness. This Easter would be, this Good Friday would be a great day to say yes to your offer of love and forgiveness in Jesus Christ. So Lord, we ask now that you would, by the Holy Spirit, that this would be your moment. This would be your time when the Spirit of God reigns in our hearts and in this room and online. And Father, who knows? I don't, but you do. What can happen in this moment, in these next moments? So we give you praise and we give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. The musicians are going to play, and when you're ready, just come. All the people in the balcony, come down as well. But just allow God to work in your heart. Let him speak to you now. Because this is the moment when the Spirit reigns. You came from heaven's throne Acquainted with our sorrow to trade the dead we your suffering for our freedom the Lamb of God in my place your blood poured out my sin Yeah. 
Jesus adore. Because of you, Jesus adore. Because of your love that my soul will live. And it's all because of you, Jesus adore. Because of you, Jesus adore. tables and I'm looking at the mess and this is what I'm thinking I think this is exactly how it was at the last supper you know we come to church and we want to be all prim and proper I don't think Christianity is that prim and proper I don't think it was intended to be so as a way of ending our time together this morning I want to read for you from a psalm Psalm 22 is a messianic psalm. You'll recognize it. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God. I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. But I am a worm 
and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me, they wag their heads. He trusts in God, let him deliver him, let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Many bulls encompassed me. The strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a raving and roaring lion. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. And my tongue sticks to my jaws. And you lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and they gloat over me. They divide my garment among them. And for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O oh Lord, do not be far off. O oh, you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild ox. Psalm 22. Tomorrow, Saturday. We refer to it as Silent Saturday. Time to reflect between now and Easter Sunday. And as we go today, as we go, let us reflect upon what this weekend means to us and for us and for the world and for the universe. And we bless you in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.